My guest on this week's episode of Suds and Search is my friend and colleague, Greg Gifford, Vice President of Search at Search Lab. Greg is a veteran digital marketer and one of the most recognizable speakers in the industry. It's hard to think of a conference he hasn't spoken at. He's well-known within the SEO community, presenting at conferences like MozCon, SMX, PubCon, and Ungagged. He's a popular speaker within the automotive industry, presenting at conferences like NADA, Digital Dealer, and Internet Battle Plan. And he is a rock star overseas at conferences like Brighton SEO, Search Love London, In Orbit, and Learn Inbound. Greg is well-known for his fast-paced, often profane, movie-themed presentations. In a one-hour presentation, Greg may rifle through more than 100 beautifully designed slides. Oh, and there are never any bullet points. As Greg sees it, bullet points kill kittens. He's also the host of the weekly video series, Local Search Tuesdays. Each week, Greg packs tons of valuable information into short and highly entertaining video segments. From time to time, he'll change it up and have special guest appearances from conferences he's attending, or he'll even publish a full conference presentation. Local Search Tuesdays is must-watch content in the local SEO world. Rather than cover topics you'd find on his show, I wanted to take our conversation in a slightly different direction. I've watched closely as Greg has overhauled Search Lab's internal processes and procedures to allow our agency to scale quickly. At Brighton SEO this spring, Greg gave away all his secrets to running an agency. I'll start our conversation asking Greg about how to manage and build an SEO department. Greg is also frequently mentioned on this show with his no-context questions. Greg will give me a word or two to ask our guests, but no additional details. Now that Greg is being interviewed, I'm going to try a few no-context questions of my own. Grab something cold to drink and join me for a conversation with Greg Gifford. We'll talk about why he said doing digital marketing is easy, but running an agency is hard. We'll chat about conference presenting broadly and what makes a good presentation. And I'll ask him where to get the best steak in America. Greg Gifford, welcome to Southern Search. How are you doing? I am excellent. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on. I know, you know, Mark often describes his appearance on Southern Search as his job interview here. So I figured this would be like your recorded performance review. Like, how have you done this? Will be Either that or maybe it's a potential job interview for me to jump ship somewhere. <laughs> oh. no, I'm kidding, obviously. Don't joke about that. Um, no, so there's there's so many directions we could go here. I, I think one of the things I, I wanted to talk to you about is what I do with you every day. So, you know, all your presentations are great. A lot of times you're talking about link building or GMB best practices. But I'm thinking about a presentation you did at Brighton Virtually which was titled Pulling Back the Curtain, How to Run a Successful Agency. I think it's a great topic, right? I mean, it's it's something I hear about all the time. You can't clone yourself. How do you get, how do you scale? Um, one of the things you said in that was that doing digital marketing is easy. Running an agency is hard. Why is yeah, it for so sure. hard? Why, why, why is it so challenging? Um, and some people might might be skeptical that doing digital marketing is easy, but what makes this so challenging? Well, I mean, the kind of point of that was there's a lot of stuff out there that you can watch, read, listen to, to learn digital marketing. And you can just jump in and go work at an agency or go work in-house and learn what to do for digital marketing. That part, you know, while there's definitely difficult parts of it, learning to do digital marketing and keeping up with doing digital marketing isn't really that hard. I mean, come on, SEO is not that hard to do. It's just a lot of people don't know how to do it. But running an agency and running an agency well is really hard. And there's not a whole lot of information out there 
on how to run a digital marketing agency and what the processes are and what's the sales process and how do you keep track of things and how do you manage your team? And especially now with COVID forcing everybody to be in a remote environment, how do you maintain the same levels of quality control and you know, quality checks on everything that you're doing, making sure people are doing their work. And then how do you make sure that the teams are connected and everybody doesn't feel isolated? So there's a whole lot to running an agency that, you know, a lot of people don't ever really think about unless you're in one of those senior management or ownership roles, or you've been working in digital marketer as a digital marketer for years, and then you decide to leave and start your own thing. And all of a sudden, it's a whole new world of things that you never even thought about on not not just running a business as an entrepreneur, but running an agency. So that's what the whole point of that presentation was, was to try to pull back that curtain and show people the wizard and let people know, hey, look, these are common problems. Everybody has these problems. Here's how we solve them. And I've done this at multiple agencies now. So I, I kind of feel like even though I'm known as an SEO speaker, local SEO speaker, and I go all over the world speaking about these things, really, I think my role now is more of kind of an operations role and more mm -hmm. of being the guy that's steering the ship as opposed to the guy that's running, you know, the day-to-day -day of the team. I agree 100%. I mean, I think that that's exactly it. And for anybody who, who has watched or will watch that Brighton SEO presentation, I can personally attest you didn't really leave any secrets out there. So you you were fully transparent about how we run things here at Search Lab, and you'll get a good sense of it if you watch that. One of the things that we've done that I thought it was interesting you pointed out in the talk is that we have actually hired more expensive talent. We have not gotten yeah. straight out of college, uh, you know, $35,000 a year employee. And, you know, you, you said this to me right away, and I think it's been it's been very true, is – when you get the really inexpensive employees, you're really training your competitions. Yeah, that, that's that's the two kind of catchphrases I use talking about this. A, you're training your competition's talent. And, and the other one, it's not as catchy, but it's pretty common in digital marketing to hear that, you know, cheap SEO is actually more expensive or cheap paid paid, paid search is more expensive. Same sort of thing when it comes to talent. Hiring talent cheap, ends up costing you more in the long run. It becomes this hamster wheel of you just have to keep replacing people that will come in and you're you're hiring them cheap and that's great for you and an immediate look at the bottom line, it's stellar. But you hire that that kid that's right out of college, you know, even as low as mid thirties or, you know, in the low forties, and you admittedly know, hey, this guy doesn't have any talent, any experience, I'm going to be training them up, but that's fine. I'll hire them cheap and I'll have them cheap because even with fairly generous raises, that person's still going to be significantly cheaper. The problem is that person took that job because you are willing to hire them with no experience. Once they've worked with you for a year, now they have a year of experience working at an agency or working in-house and they can command a heck of a lot more money. And that's why a lot of times people in the SEO and, and paid search world kind of jump ship every year or two because once you have that experience, you can command a much higher salary and you're not going to get the same sort of pay rate increase if you stay right. in the same spot. So I feel like it was a better decision for us to hire more expensive talent. A, you get people with more experience that are going to do better work, more efficiently. You know, it's, it's about efficiency as much as it is about talent. They're, they're better at time management. They know how to deal with clients. They know common pitfalls. 
So all this stuff that's really hard to train people outside of just specific skills and tactics, these people know. And because they're at a higher level, they produce better work, they get better results for clients, they're better at talking to clients, and we can sell our service as a higher level service because you're not going to have a flashy sales demo and then get stuck with a consultant that didn't know what SEO was six weeks ago. And on the other side, you're going to keep these people for longer because you're catching people several years in at that level that they are switching to you to make more money. And because we're really generous with our pay plan, we're really generous with our uh, our raises, and we're super generous with benefits and and vacation time, we keep people longer. And there's the hidden cost in employee churn that a lot of people don't consider is, sure, you lose somebody and you replace them. And maybe we lose somebody that's high salary, we replace them with lower salary, and we're like, great, that's less money. But you have to take into account how much time does it take to train that person where they're not generating revenue? How much time does it take from management or trainers to train that person where it takes them away from their other day-to-day? -day? And if you're using a recruiter, you've got recruiter fees to consider as well. So yes. another thing is, let's say we are, you know, and inevitably people are going to leave. I understand that. Somebody gets a job, they get a director job or a manager job somewhere. Cool. They leave. Now we have to replace. I could hire somebody cheap. And now we've replaced the salary and we're saving money, but we've got that training cost. We've got the recruiter cost. We've got all that. And that person's not going to be up to full speed. So they're going to have to take fewer accounts for a while till they build in to be able to take it where somebody that's more experienced can jump right in with both feet. So there's a whole lot of advantages to just upping that salary range. And compared to other places that I've been in the past, we paid, I mean, I don't want to say a number because people can pretty easily figure out who that is. I don't want to talk bad about past places, but you know, we pay significantly more i i mean in some cases you know uh 25 more mm -hmm. uh, or more than what we were hiring entry-level people for at past places so it, it's definitely i think worked out for us yeah it's definitely i i, I agree 100 the investments always paid off so um the the other big change i think this was a reprogramming in my brain when you came on board was i thought as we grew we would get more specialized. Like there would be a person who was like the link builder and the person who was the content person and the person who was the analytics person. And you kind of convinced me on this jack of all trades approach. You know, why doesn't specialization scale? Why, why can't you have like a, I'm just a link builder. I want to do my link building thing for all these clients and a bunch of people working on the exact same client. Why doesn't that scale? It does scale. It just scales differently. So now it becomes, you've got varying levels of intensity for link building and that one link builder can handle X number of accounts, that content person can handle X number of accounts. But in most cases, people aren't super independent thinkers and they're just gonna kind of follow the, the, the guidelines of what their job description is. So they're not thinking independently and they're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And forcing one person to really be comprehensive in doing everything for a client, owning the analysis of the client when you onboard them, creation of the strategy and implementation of that strategy across all the aspects gives you more of a holistic look of what do we need to do to help this client show up better. So I feel like it's a more targeted approach because, you know, with the team-based thing, sure, you can still scale it, but it's a little bit harder to know that, like, Maybe my link building team's got plenty of space, but I got to go hire somebody on the content side because we need more content. Now I've hired this content guy that 
he's only using 20% of his time, but that's all he does, so we can't do other things. Where with us, because one consultant handles everything, it's just a really simple numbers game of, you know, X number of accounts at a standard level, you know, obviously we've got higher level stuff, but at a standard level, X number of accounts goes on one body. So we can track very easily how many accounts we have, what's in the pipeline, what's likely to close, to know when do we need to hire somebody so that that person can get in, follow our pretty advanced training outline and be trained and ready to go at the point that they need to be taking accounts. So it just it's easier on the high level management side to forecast when do we need to hire? It's really easy to calculate profitability per employee because you know exactly what that person's cost is hard cost of salary, benefits, overhead, and exactly how much money is coming in for the accounts that they handle. Really easy to figure out that profitability per employee. Really easy to figure out when we need to hire so that we're not hiring too early or we're not hiring too late. Like there's just so many advantages to doing it this way. It's, I mean, it makes more sense. I like it. It's always been for a not, somebody who's not great at math, it's always made the math really easy for me. And uh, so, this is my last question about your Brighton talk, and then we'll get on to some other some other news with you. Uh, one of the things I talk about with prospective clients a lot with us is that there's a framework, and then there's customization within the framework. So it's kind of like a best of both worlds. For an employee, that's really nice. They're tethered to something. They have to do these, these things every month, but there's also this creative freedom to do some things that they want to do for their clients. For those who don't know, what, what does that mean exactly? What, what, what is our framework and how does the customization play into it? Well, so one of the other drawbacks to most agencies is they kind of approach it where, hey, we need to do some stuff this month. And then next month, we need, to, right. yeah. we need to do some more stuff. And then the next month, we need to do some more stuff. And sure, you know that you need to do SEO, but you might end up going three or four or six months without doing link building because hey, link building's hard and we don't really want to do it even though it's important. Or, hey, we might do some stuff on Google My Business but then not next month. Or we might put a piece of content on the site and then we don't add new content for another three months or we don't optimize things. So having that framework of at a bare minimum, you have to spend X amount of time doing these certain things. Now, the time can be adjusted. We can customize anything for any client. But to have the starting framework of for a point of entry basic client that doesn't need massive amounts of customization, chances are here's a good guide for how much time to spend creating content, how much time to spend working on tech SEO, how much time to spend working on optimizing stuff, how much time for link building, how much time for citations in the beginning, how much time for Google My Business, how much time for reputation management, you know, holding a little bit of time back for what we call kitchen sink time of random things right. that pop up that you have to take care of. So now forecasting wise, we know X number of hours equals a standard account, and one consultant can handle Y numbers of account based on that time outline. And so you, we have an entire sheet that we use to see where things are associated and how much time each consultant has so that it's just easier to know that, A, when we're selling our services and explaining what we're doing, hey, look, here's our framework. Here's the bare minimum of what you're going to get every month. But within that framework, there's tons of room for customization. So maybe we take a little bit of time off of link building and add it into content creation or optimization at the beginning because their site's not in good shape. Or maybe somebody's site's in amazing shape and they don't have any citation issues and their Google My Business is great. So the first month, we spend a lot more time analyzing internal link structure and figuring out what we need to do for links. I mean, there's 
tons of room for customization to let people think independently. But having that guideline there means it's an easier starting point and it's easier for us on the process side to track what's actually being done for clients. Awesome. Well, I want to shift gears a little bit to some another big piece of news in your world. You were recently elevated to a gold level product expert. Yep. Congratulations on that. Can you tell our audience what the PE program is and what that status means? What does that gold status mean? Yeah, so Google has community support forums for all of its various products, YouTube, Gmail, Google Search, Google Maps, whatever. And if you have a question about a product, you can go put a post on that, you know, respective forum and volunteers will come in and answer that question for you. It's not staffed by Google employees. So uh, about a year ago, I think I, a little over a year ago, I started, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to be a product expert. So I went in and I just started spending time answering questions because I kind of know a little bit about Google, my business. And so once you answer enough questions consistently, and answer them well, then you get invited to be in the product expert program. And then once you continue that at a certain level, you get invited to be in a higher level. So I got into the gold level and at that level, you sign an NDA with Google and you know, you get to be a part of, you know, beta tests and talk to Google support or Google team members directly. And you get a lot more insight into the workings of whatever particular product you're in. So with me, it's Google My Business. So being a gold expert means, you know, I'm at that NDA level, I could have regular meetings with Google employees. And I, you know, it signifies that, hey, if this guy answers your question, this guy knows what he's talking about, it's probably right. So it's, it's pretty fun. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun going in and helping people and kind of seeing what's going on and seeing the problems that people have. And it's also cool, because I'm friends with most of the other, uh, gold and platinum experts so you know it's a reason to chat and hang out with friends i was gonna say I've, I've met many of the other experts from this show and from you knowing them and it just seems like an awesome community so keep it up is it really is um all right last so but we got to talk about conferences so everyone who knows you knows that you go to a bunch of conferences every year uh it has been it mildly yeah so I think you were like going to be at 28 conferences in your first year at Searchlight before COVID made that zero. So you yeah. recently returned to the stage. Like it had been over a year since you had been on a stage presenting. Just broad question. What was it like to be back on stage traveling again, eating at restaurants, hugging people? It, it was really awesome. I, I dearly missed that part of, of my role. Uh, and, you know, when you hired me, a big part of hiring me was having me out speaking no at doubt. events and, you know, getting the brand of Search Lab out there. So it was a little difficult that COVID kind of made us put a pin in that and wait for a bit. But, yeah, it was awesome to be back out. It was really cool seeing friends that, you know, I would usually run into every month or two that I haven't seen in a year and a half. So mainly the, the community of seeing other speakers and going out to have cool dinners with people. That part was amazing. Uh, being on stage again and speaking, that was fun. I always enjoyed that. I, that didn't really stop because I still did a lot of virtual conferences and, right. and Zoom conferences and webinars. So I was still out there teaching and, and helping, but it's just different in person. And right. my style's a little different. Uh, I'm kind of wacky and, and crazy and I'm very energetic, I guess you could say. And I just feel like doing it virtually over a screen is like, 60 or 70 percent of what it is in person so it's fun to get back and kind of turn that machine back on again 
I love it. All right. So like I said, you're a master of this. You've been doing this with the movie themed. It's so fast paced. Uh, there were more than a few F-bombs in your presentation, which is sort of your style. Uh, you know, just, just out of curiosity, two questions about conferences. After all these years, what about it still excites you? And what do you think makes a good conference presenter? What, what do you think is different between the oh, good ones geez. and the bad ones? This is supposed to be a short interview, and I could go on that <laughs> forever. Um, the first part, what still excites me, it, it always excites me to get out there and help people. I never really started speaking at conferences. Uh, you know, some people do it because they want to be in the spotlight. They want to be that guy up on stage. I, I didn't do it for that. It's fun to be on stage and, and make people laugh. I, I'm more about entertaining people than I want to be the guy that everybody thinks is an SEO expert. Like, I just want to be the guy that like, hey, that guy was fun to watch. Like, even if you don't do SEO, it's cool. People are like, man, I do paid search, but that was really fun to watch because you're a goofy idiot, right? But uh, it's more, it's always been about helping people because there's so much misinformation out there and there always has been. And back in the day when I first started speaking at conferences, I actually did it in automotive for quite a while before I started speaking at digital marketing conferences. And it really kind of started because I would go and see other people present on SEO and it was just vendors trying to sell you their stuff. And it was just really either vastly outdated information or just flat out incorrect information. And I was like, geez, I get that they're trying to sell their stuff, but there's people in here that just want to learn about this because they're doing it themselves and you're not helping those people. So it was always kind of the, the driving desire was to get out there and just be helpful. And that's, you know, I always did the movie thing. Cause I mean, like clearly I, I love movies, but mm -hmm. when I first started doing it, if you, and I don't, I don't think I have videos of old ones, but it was a much slower paced presentation then pretty quickly. And this kind of leads into what makes a good presenter. I noticed that there's kind of two kinds of presenters. There's people that are really, really smart that have great information, but they're pretty boring to watch. They just stand behind the podium and they don't do anything. And they're, okay. you know, very monotone and they just talk like this. And it's really hard to sit through a 30 minute presentation because <laughs> it's just painful to listen to. And then you've got people that are like really amazing to watch. Like, and, and like, just, I, I don't want to name names because then that would sound bad because I'm saying that they're only fun to watch and they're not smart. But there's a couple people that like, they could read the phone book and I would watch them present that because they're so entertaining on stage. Right. And then there's a really small percentage of people that are right in the middle. Like Will Reynolds is a great example where Will's a, I would watch him read the phone book kind of guy, but Will's also a oh my God, that was mind blowing. I never thought of that before in that way kind of guy. So it's really actionable stuff or really amazing things that shift your perspective to help you do your job better, but also entertaining and a great speaker. And I was like, I wanna be like that. So I started looking at what can I do? So I really upped the movie game. I started walking around more. I started having more of a kind of a persona on stage that was entertaining. And I started paying attention to, I know there's gonna be some people in the room that either know this already or this doesn't apply to you. So how can I make this an entertaining presentation for them, but also make it educational for everybody else? And then I started noticing a lot of conferences at the time, a decade ago, didn't have much about local SEO. There might be one session about local SEO. 
And I know that the people that were in that session, that's what they came to the conference to learn. That one session is what they'd spend a thousand dollars on or more. So then that's when I really started doing the fast paced style where I was like, I'm just going to squeeze in mm. as much as I can and talk tactically, but at a high level and quickly about a lot of different things, because you never know what everybody's pain points might be. And I figure instead of getting really in depth on one thing, let's get really in depth on a lot of things and just talk fast and then make the slides make sense as a download later. So it was more valuable to more people. And so that's kind of where my really fast paced presentation style came. And then it just went off from there. But then, you know, what makes a good speaker? Uh, for sure, don't be the, the monotone guy that stands right behind the podium. You have to strike that balance between being really informative and educational, but also not being boring. And I'm not saying everybody has to cuss like a sailor or do movies or walk back and forth on the stage like I do. That's my own style. That's just what I've come to be comfortable with. But find if, if you're a speaker or you want to be a speaker, find your own style. Find something you can talk about passionately where you're not really relying on the slides because a lot of speakers will go build slides, but then they don't know the material that well. And you can tell when they're on stage, they're reading from their notes yeah. or they're referring to their slides too often. So they're always turning around to look at what's on the slides. If you're a great speaker, you should never even need to look at your slides other than you need to make sure that it's on whatever supporting point that you're talking about. So know the material really well back and forth so that a, you're comfortable presenting it. And B, if somebody asks a question, you can answer it and not go, Oh, I don't really know that. And, and just be comfortable on stage because there's nothing worse than a speaker that's clearly not comfortable talking to a lot of people. And and maybe you're comfortable talking to 20 or 30 people, but then you get that conference where there's 100 people in the room and you're totally freaked out. And I'm, I've been in conferences where I've talked to like four or 5,000 people and you got to just get over it, practice what you're doing, build great slides, make sure your slides make sense. Don't kill kittens with lots of bullet points. That's okay, a bad one. Yeah. Uh, it's instead of having a bullet point list of four things that are action items, do four slides. It makes more sense later as a download. It makes more sense visually to be a backup of what you're talking about. And it's just, it's better all around. So there's, I mean, geez, I could go on and on and on. I should start doing presentations on how to be a good conference speaker. I dig it. Yeah. I saw somebody, Ali Gardner's doing that now. So, um, well, listen, I, last thing about conferences, you have this really interesting collection of fan bases. You're popular in the local SEO community and present at conferences like Local U, White Sparks conference, conference for sure. Then you're super popular within the automotive industry, which I just got to see for the first time. So like you walk through a hotel lobby with you and you can't get to the front, like the check-in because like five people stop you to talk to them. And then you have this whole like international audience as well. So, you know, basically most people like to stay in their lane. They like to get really deep on a subject. They like to just be the auto dealer SEO. You don't. Was that a decision or is that just something that happened over time? I do. It happened over time. I mean, originally it was like, yeah, it'd be cool to go speak at a conference overseas, but it wasn't really a goal. And then uh, I think it really all started with Brighton SEO about seven years ago, where a guy that I became friends with through PubCon was like, hey, man, you need to come speak at Brighton. I'm going to tell the guy to have you. And then the guy reached out to me and was like, hey, do you want to speak? And I said, yeah. And then I ended up doing a an all-day training class the day before the conference and did that. And, you know, the it's kind of like when we see conferences over here, 
and you have that person that's, you know, got an accent because they're not American, whatever that, I mean, even Canadians, people are like, oh, he says, hey, that's cool. But especially people with British accents, you're just immediately like, oh my God, that guy's amazing. Or that girl's amazing because <laughs> yeah. she's got an accent or, you know, German accent or just any kind of accent. You're like, oh, yeah. wow, that was, that was great. That person's amazing. Not saying it's exactly the same over there, but you kind of stand out when you're in a conference. It's mostly people that are British or European and you're the one American. And then I'm in there with my movies and my tattoos and my F-bombs and it, it just stands out and, and and it became popular. And so I've been doing that conference every year, twice a year for the last seven years. And then other conferences, people that organize conferences always go to other conferences to scout speakers. And so I got noticed by other conferences and got invited to more things. And it just kind of became this deal of, oh, geez, you want me to come over to Germany and speak at your conference? Gee, twist my arm. I guess I'll do that. Oh, you want me to come to Australia? Wow. Let me see if I can figure that out. Oh, you want to fly me and my wife over to Russia and go to St. Petersburg for a week? Gee, let me ask her if that's okay. You know, it's just a nice bonus. Um, I've gotten to see some really amazing places. I was really bummed last year because I had a conference in Dubai. I had a conference in Singapore. I was going back to Australia. We were going to Russia. We were going to Ukraine. I was going to go to Ireland. I have some really cool trips lined up, and then all that fell through. So hopefully they'll all kind of come back. But, yeah, the international thing, not really a goal, it, and it doesn't really – I don't want to say make business sense. I mean, it makes sense because we can – tell people, hey, look, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's all over the world speaking at conferences. But it's not like I'm speaking at those conferences to generate leads like the stuff that I do in the States. It's more of I, I like helping people, and it's cool to go over there and, and help people. So why not do it? I dig it. All right. Well, listen, this is going to be usually the part of the show where I get a no-context question from you. But since you weren't there, I just have a rapid-fire amount of – Questions. I want to see how you do here. Okay. Uh, the first question is Cherry Circle Room or Burns Steakhouse? Oh, I'd have to go Cherry Circle there. I mean, Burns has a better wine list, but man, Cherry Circle's so superb. I think I'd have to go there. So those are two. One, one's a steakhouse here in Chicago and one is in Tampa. Uh, they're both amazing. Uh, better meal, sushi or cheeseburger? Depends on the sushi and the cheeseburger, <laughs> honestly. Because, like, all cheeseburgers are not created, created equal and all sushi is not created equal. Uh, I mean, I'm a burger guy. I love burgers, but anywhere I can get really good sushi is always going to be probably my go-to. All right, nice. And then... Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, geez. Come on. Star Wars all the way. I knew that one. Uh, I mean, I got a Star Trek. I got it. I got That's what right there. There's Khan. I've got Khan, but I mean, I've clearly got way more Star Wars stuff. And I got Darth Vader's lightsaber on the back of my arm. And I, I mean, like 80% of my wardrobe is Star Wars shirts. Today, not Star Wars, but Alien in Japanese. Very nice. So Very nice. I like that one. Um, all right. And then what's a better, better time out playing board games or going to the casino playing poker? Oh, I'd probably say board games, actually. 
<laughs> I mean, poker poker's a good time, but poker in a casino is not always as fun because you get the the tryhards that you know that's kind of their gig, and you lose your money, so it's not so great. But board games are always fun, even when you lose. Poker usually fun, but a lot of times not fun when you lose. So, all right. Well, listen, this has been uh, really fun, and I just to tell you, it's it's always fun. Like every day coming to work is fun to to work with you. It's been a blast, and uh, yeah, I think for now I will sign off with a virtual cheers. Greg Gifford, thank you for coming on Southern Sir. Thanks for having me on. I wish we could have done it in person. We'll have to do a round two uh, sometime when I'm up in town. There's, there's no no question we'll have to do that. So Yep. All right, signing off for now. We'll be back next week with another episode of Suds and Search. 